Welcome to another episode of the Creativity Algorithm. This is the show that is designed to help people have good ideas more often. Say, hey everyone, welcome back to the Creativity Algorithm podcast. Today we have an amazing episode and a guest that I'm super excited to talk about. Uh, we welcome Jim McPhee, and Jim had a 43-year career with the Walt Disney World Company. Um, and I can't go into all of his biography, but I've read most of it, and I think you should too, and we're going to talk about his book later. Let me give you some highlights. Jim started as a teenager uh, basically driving boats around Walt Disney World, which is a lot of responsibility for a teenager. And again, I won't give you his whole biography, but, and I don't want to say he climbed the ladder, but I think it was more he was recognized for not just his ability, but his just good naturedness and ability to work with people. He was involved in opening Animal Kingdom, Epcot, and as his career grew, he later became, I guess, the, and, and he's going to talk about it in his book, the COO of Walt Disney World. If you've ever been to Disney, let me tell you how amazing this is. We're talking buses, monorails, boats, food services. I can't even comprehend what goes into running something like the Walt Disney World Resort. And Jim was able to do all of that. And we're going to find out the main reason is because working with people, working with people. Um, but I think the most important thing that Jim wants me to say, as I completely buttering him up and make him feel welcome in here, um, is that he's a, a devoted family man. He's got kids, he's got wife, and that though you'll see when you read the book, it's his values and kind of core beliefs that make him you know, as successful and just a good person as he is. So having said all that, and hopefully I've buttered him up enough, hey Jim, welcome to the Creativity Algorithm. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And uh, hello, everybody. It is an honor to be here with you all uh, today. And uh, Joe, I'm, I'm, I might look sunburned. I'm probably blushing from the <laughs> uh, kind words that you shared. But uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I was I got a little a chance to meet you at a, at a college event. And, uh, um, and we've been able to follow up and I'm fascinated in just the brief conversations we've had about you know, your field and, and, and the marriage of that with my field. And yeah, I think there's a lot of commonality in this. I'm, I'm excited to be here and share whatever I can with you. Great. Before we get started on leadership, um, inspiration, engagement, and, you know, like the, the main theme is relationships tying that all together. For the Disney fans, Jim, can you tell us one amazing fact or something that people would not know about Disney World? Well, boy, that's a long list of uh, of things. I'll go softball uh, right up front. Um, I'm sure everybody aware is aware that there's a big tunnel system underneath the Magic Kingdom. If you've been to Walt Disney World, you know there are two lakes that uh, surround the property. One is a man-made lake, and the dirt that was extracted by the creation of that lake was used to build up the base of the Magic Kingdom so that cast members from Frontierland wouldn't have to walk through Tomorrowland, Adventureland, and um, and uh, Fantasyland, you know, out of theme, out of costume, because we're all about storytelling. So that, that's probably a pretty pretty well-known secret. Um, uh, so it's maybe not a secret. Um, let me come back to that. Let me think about it, because I've got a bunch of them. Uh, but I would also say that, uh, you know, there's a famous wall quote that said, uh, this all started with a mouse. 
And in reality, when you read, you know, I am a Walt fan and a Walt student. I never met the man, but I, 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 I feel his vibes uh, in all my uh, training. But, uh, you know, here was a man who in 1923, you know, created this idea of animation and storytelling, almost lost the company in the mid 20s because of some shenanigans with a company in New York, uh, advertising company in New York who actually wanted to steal the first version of a character he created, which was Oswald the Rabbit. And so he left New York um, dejected with his wife Lillian and on the train ride home where he thought he was going to break the bad news to his brother Roy that, you know, we're in trouble. Company's not got the legs we thought it would. He penciled out and sketched out Mickey Mouse. So I've always been a fan of Walt through So it all started with a mouse. That's the other Very story. cool. And, and we're going to come back to that for readers of the blog, listeners of the podcast. Notice that Walt Disney was, and, and many of us have had a good idea when we're in the shower or in the car. It's that relaxed engagement where the unconscious comes to you. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to any way, shape, or form say, oh, I could see it coming for Walt Disney, but it does fit a pattern that when you're relaxed, daydreaming on a long trip, like train trip or car trip, that's when ideas surprise us. It's yeah. not when we're busy or stressed. Um, and, and I I didn't want to, uh, I, I kind of, Jim and I, for those who are listening, Jim and I exchanged some possible topics and yeah. I surprised him with that Disney World one. So that was kind of rude of me, but let's go into some of the know. ones. <laughs> let's go into some of the ones that we did talk about. Okay, um, super broad question. Um, and for those, Jim's book is about a leadership, inspiration, engagement, how do you see, and this podcast is all about having a good idea more often, where do you see the intersection between your your concepts and creativity? You know, um, it's such a deep question uh, that you ask uh, here because I um, I think at the core of creativity is, 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 is curiosity. And of course, in the environment that I grew up in storytelling, right? So you know, uh, I grew up in an environment where storytelling was at the forefront of all of the things we created, all of the things we did, and all of all of those types of things. But I believe the intersection of specifically my book, Engage, Inspire, and Lead, and the idea of creativity comes from kind of a blend of these principles and beliefs. We can get into these later. That that I I, I brought to I brought to bear through the School of Hard Knocks, learning you know myself. Um, about thinking outside yourself and about, um, you know, thinking about the end-to-end state of an experience and, and be thoughtful about what you do on the front end, what you do in the middle, and what you do on the back end. I also love the notion of this concept about being bold and being brave. Too many organizations and too many companies focus on perfection, and perfection is the enemy of, of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've heard a million articles. You probably thought of, talked about it yourself about you know fail, fail, fail fast, all these things. And I agree with all those in principle. Nobody wants to fail, but some people don't move for fear of failure. And in this fast-paced world that we live in, for me, I recognize a couple things. One is I was at an early age surrounded by brilliance, you know, uh, creativity at its finest. Now I was in operations. I wasn't in Walt Disney Imagineering, or I wasn't in, but I never, I never stayed in my box because you know my box had 
that borders on it. I, I believe the notion of engaging is to engage with others and to be engaged by others. I believe the notion of inspiring is to inspire others and to uh, be inspired uh, by others. And frankly, what's not what's not written in that statement is learn from those who are uninspiring, you know, and and don't 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 copycat, you know, that. And then the idea of leading is about, you know, lead the way you've been led, but lead the way you believe lead leadership is what it's all about, you know. And and so I, you know, I I have a lot of great books I've read over the years. One of my favorite is a guy by the name of Jim Collins, Good to Great. He talks about C-suite level leaders as level five leaders. They're the top 2%. And the two words that I pontificate on in my head and ad nauseum to my family, they'll tell you that, is this notion of vulnerability and humility. Huge values, huge virtues that I think is a game changer differentiator for separating, you know, an individual from the masses. Uh, so long answer. Hopefully that I got close to that. Yeah. And I think, and I, I've had the advantage of reading most, and I told you I haven't gotten through all of it, but I'm about two thirds. The humility part is important. And you, you've said it in your book, you know, people don't grow in their comfort zone, or maybe I messed up right. the, the phrasing. Right. And I think you know, that's important for creativity. Because unless, you know, I, I don't know too many people that get their first book or first song or poem or painting, I don't think they nail it on their first try. Right. And I think they're scared to try. And and right. that's that's the problem. And how, okay, so you've mentored and you've been mentored by, and you probably have been a mentor to countless people. W what do you say to people who, I don't know, are afraid or, or won't? put themselves out there. Well, you know, when, when we, when I think about leadership, there's a couple things that, you know, pop into, into my head in terms of, you know, what's important. Um, first of all is, is clarity of an individual's role or responsibility or purpose. What are you, what are you tasked with doing here? And what do you value? Why are you valued? What, what of that that you do, do we value the most? And, and, it, and by the way, you know, at the age of 65, 43 years at Disney, I, it, it's so nice to be able to have a rear view mirror. But as I also say in my book, I don't like looking in the rear view mirror for too long, but I do have the benefit of, I wish I knew all this stuff when I was your age or my daughter's age or, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm playing back, you know, from experience. I didn't, I wasn't born with this wisdom, which to me is better than any, any college degree that anybody can earn, but college degrees are important, just to be clear. But um, uh, we're talking um, to two specific people. If you're listening, both <laughs> <laughs> uh, begin with a. Um, right. uh, so now here's what I do. I should have warned you. I think talk my way out of being able to answer the question because I forget about it. So what was <laughs> so so what we're looking at is is I'm tr I'm trying I'm going to be fully transparent. Trying to look at the idea of of I guess creativity or how do you lead? Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. that, that kind of thing, being a I mentor, mentee. Yeah. So, you know, most of the people that you lead or I led were probably in leadership roles and have been in for some time, but I also went up various levels. And so I was leading myself as the boat driver, you know, in my first, uh, in my first leadership position. 
I believe that the aura that a person brings into an environment, whether it's you and me on this podcast or me walking the hallways and the break rooms of where you know the cast members hung out, the aura that I give off as a leader has to be one of openness, willingness to listen, and 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 genuine interest in an individual. And 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 I don't know how I was blessed with this, but I'm told that people, you know, I look people directly in the eye not with my mind already made up on what the answer is to the question that I asked, but with sincere interest in understanding what their answer is to the question that I may, may, may have just asked. And I believe that the power and the multiplier of people and brains and brain power is unbelievably powerful when you unleash it and you don't compartmentalize it. So I always believe that whether it was the guy sweeping this, uh, the girl sweeping the streets this person with the honey bucket behind the horses on Main Street or the person in the C-suites and Team Disney headquarters always had great ideas. Now, you know, you have to develop the parameters and the capacity, but I think opening the environment for people to be vested and invested in our success by making them feel a part of that as opposed to performing a task is, is to me where the gold is because just multiply brain power. You you are the scientist, not me, but the collective energy and the collective brain power of more than one is much more powerful, you know, yeah. than one. And I I was not the scientist. I was not the finance, you know, expert. I was not the MBA of you know of, uh, of or CFO. It wasn't me. I was. I was intellectually capable of tracking with conversations and I knew enough to go learn about what stuff I didn't, you know, codes I didn't understand or something like that. But, but I also knew that, yeah, I'm pretty smart, but my success, our success isn't going to be by my intellect. It's going to be by the power of those around me. And I always just wanted to have a very, very, very open mind i wanted to avoid like-minded thinking now i learned that later in life i didn't need people parroting what i said or what they think i might say and i like to find a contrarian i like to find someone who will disagree with me um and, and these are kind of all into the beliefs that i outline in the book but this idea of creating an open environment where you foster intrigue you foster curiosity it's going to contribute to the benefit of the organization now they everybody has a day job they still have to do their day job so this is above and beyond sweeping that street or you know it's it's when you're in when you're in round tables or when you're in lunch conversations that's where i i find the most gold you know i mean I, and and i wish i could for those who are listening I just wish you could immediately know what I read about the book. One of the things that struck me, and, and it was a kind of a wake-up call for me, I think we all need to be reminded of the concept of authenticity when, and you've said it a couple of times, when you're walking around whatever your job might be, um, instead of saying, hey, how are you doing? And you keep walking as in a perfunctory greeting rather than stopping and taking that couple seconds, looking the person in the eye and, and connecting with them. And we're all so busy, got 87,000 to-do lists. And that, I know that, but I forget to do it. Well, and I think that's huge. 
Yeah, because we're all un, we're not properly prioritized on what's important and what's not. We're caught up in the moment. I think I yeah. wrote about in the book. You might be referencing this where I I begun to run Epcot, which is my favorite park. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to have favorite parks, but I can now. But it was Walt. <laughs> it was Walt Disney's last steady vision, you know, uh, before he died. Um, and my, you know, I had the I had the VP office. You know, I was the person in charge of the of the park and site. Obviously, deeply connected to the rest of the broader organization, but. You know, the buck stopped with me and I found myself, this is back in the Blackberry era. If anybody remembers what a Blackberry is, I found myself, you know, everybody's got to go to the bathroom once in a while. So I would end up going to the bathroom and I'd be walking in the middle of the main hallway that every single cast member walks to and from their work location with my head stuck in my device. And, and nobody told me, you know, I caught myself late, but I caught myself going, what the heck am I doing here? I'm missing the biggest return on investment I could make, which is yep. to get what? Engage, inspire, and leave, you know, these people. And by the way, half of them probably didn't know who I was. I didn't care. You know, I didn't, I wanted them to know Jim, not the VP of Epcot, because right. that to me is what people did to me and brought out the best in me. And I wanted to make sure I gave myself the opportunity to bring out the best in others so my brain could expand with their knowledge and their insight. And that, I mean, that, that obviously speaks to volumes about you as a person um, that and you, we've talked about the humility where you, humility and creativity go hand in hand because you don't know it all. None of us know it all, but we should right. be hungry to, to learn. Okay. Tough question for you. Um, now you said you, you might not be the smart, you know, you referenced that you might not be the smartest guy in the room or you didn't know this or that. Do you consider yourself creative? Yeah, I consider myself very, very creative. Um, I don't believe creativity is a degree. I don't believe it's a department. I don't believe it's, I mean, decision-making is a department, you know, top box. But I I believe that all of us have creativity within us. And I, I'm going to play off of where you were earlier in this conversation is when we take the time to slow down and harvest it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm a, I, 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 could go, uh, I could go for hours on this one, but... <laughs> You know, I, I'm a firm believer that if, you, if you're in an organization and you want to do startup work, and I use the term startup work relatively loosely, but you want to, you really want to focus on getting into the fabric of what's going on in the field, whether it may be an erosion and just service, or it may be, you know, we need to get these transactions out of the system, which by the way, I did a lot of during what we call internally the NGE days or the My Magic Plus days. That was the most provocative learning experience for me as a relatively senior leader, but still probably 15 years ago, it was it was uh, the opportunity to do a lot of the things that I'm talking about is be surrounded by non-like-minded thinking, be, you know, able to bring in people from a different, you know, different realm. But I back to me for a moment, which I don't like to talk about as I shared, but I, I was blessed with a wonderful family, a wonderful uh, set of parents, and a wonderful uh, appetite for the outdoors. And there, I was a surfer. Uh, I was around water all the time. And there is a, there is a, there is a. I'm a Pisces for what it's worth. There, but there is a, there's this sense of nature that I think instills ideation, which, as you may say, is way, way, way back in here. We just got to go grab it, but we never take the time to go grab it. And I think. I would go, by the way, I'd say everybody is creative to what degree 
probably you know vast range of there but when they unleash their mind not to be encumbered by their task whether it's paying the bills or mowing the lawn or sweeping the trash on main street or operating a ride that's where creativity abounds now i used to also believe heavily and still do in entrepreneurialism which is kind of hand in hand a little bit with that but in both categories i believe in responsible creativity and responsible um entrepreneurialism and you know i will tell you that companies waste a gazillion amount of, of dollars on this notion that that's not our department that's creativity is over in that department i can tell you millions hundreds of millions if not a lot, a lot of money was wasted, is wasted when you have a separation of organizations to ideate on the creative side, come up with something, throw it over the fence to the end user, the operator, and 50% of the time it doesn't work. So guess what? It gets thrown back. If it doesn't get thrown out the door, it gets back thrown back over the fence. So I don't believe in this, you know, creativity as a license and only the badge where it can be creative. I believe that horizontal alignment and this notion of collaboration through the process of the initial idea through the end is the only way great ideas stick. It may go slower up front. Standardization causes a little bit of slowness sometimes, but the speed is more than picked up on the back end because you've tidied it up. You've got it to a feasibility place. I'm, I'm getting specific on ideas, but Anyway, I think creativity is everybody's got a, a lock. Some people keep the door locked. Some people open it and don't open it or unlock it and don't open it. Some people hold it slightly ajar. I'm in the, I might create, it's always open, but in a responsible manner. I think that's a good metaphor. Um, a lot of what you said, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of be happy. I'm going to be self, it's very validating um, in a corporate world because for most of the episodes and posts of, of this blog and podcast, I've said that good ideas are assembled in the unconscious um, and they're delivered to us oftentimes in inconvenient or weird ways. And it's not like you said, you can't necessarily compartmentalize and say, right now I'm going to be creative or only these people can be creative. And it's that interplay. It's that interplay of influences from this department, from this employee um, at, at the unexpected times, but you have to keep the door open. And if you don't, you know, and, and I guess in, in, as you mentioned before, in so many, you know, now I'm just pontificating in so many corporations and in higher institutions, they want perfection. They want results. They don't want almost done results. But if you can't bring an unfinished idea to someone, how right. are you going to grow it? Because they're going to help you fertilize that idea. And that's something that, you know, we can look at on the individual level, but also on a group level. And, and it's, you got to play with the idea before it's ready. And I, and I, I think, you know, that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, yeah. You, you nailed it. This notion of be bold, be brave. Perfection will follow. Uh, it can't be though. I mean, let's be clear. It has to be grounded in some analytic from a feasibility standpoint. Yeah, I'm I'm talking theme park vernacular right now, Disney vernacular. But you know, in life, you know, 
I like to be creative and I, I like to think about what if I did this to the house or what if I did this to the, you know, or what if the world did this or that, but you know, you, you can't, uh, people get frustrated when sometimes when they think they're creative and they express a big idea, but they don't bring anything more than that idea to the yep. table. Yeah. And, you know, an idea is not a hot potato. It's kind of like, you know, tag you're it. We're all on the same team now. Let's go figure this stuff out together. Because it will get lost yeah. in the blender yeah. of other things. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And that's, it's, you know, it's a good idea is a thing. Creativity is a process. And um, as we know, I think the two of us are probably not going to be able to, you know, come up with a perfect definition. Um, and I don't think anyone in the corporate world or academic world, entrepreneurial world or art world can identify what is a good idea or what is creativity? It's kind of like, you know, what's, I think it was the definition of art. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. Or I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. So that, that uh, kind of totally. I mean, it's not, it's not prescribed, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think you've said it well. So, okay. Um, question for you. When, and I think you've touched upon it, and we talked a little bit about your book, um, and how your book came to be, and you, you can expound upon that at, at, now that we're recording. Did you, did you, I, I know that, of course, uh, Walt Disney World Corporation has many processes and they have a lot of algorithms and, and things that keep the things running, standardization. Do you have a process for creating, when you're writing your book or making decisions or reflecting on stuff, talk to us a little bit about your process and your your thought process, whether it's book, leadership, dealing with people, you know, I'm just wondering, or did it just come to you? Do you wing it? Um, I won. I, I won a lot of things. I mean, that's past tense for wing. Yes. Uh, not really. <laughs> um, but I, I used to be a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized as I got a little bit more mature in age and a little bit more mature in level and a little bit more mature in life, I guess, all of the above, um, that winging it um, is not necessarily a good formula to follow. Here's what I believe is the right formula for my life and for for leadership. It's this it's this lofty idea of defining your destination and going. And then what I like to say is be nimble and agile along the way. In other words, when I was put in charge of leading the next generation experience, which was the creation of the magic band, FastPass Plus, when they had FastPass, you know, device agnostic, mobile website, uh, laptop, blah, blah, blah. We had our, I have to give our leadership credit and Meg Crofton is one of my favorite leaders. She is my favorite leader in the entire world. I mean, dear friend today, she was first female president of Walt Disney World. And we recognized a pretty deep erosion in guest satisfaction scores, 2006, 2007. And we just spent a lot of time on trying to really shore that up and safety, you know, as well. And, but, but the guest feedback was telling us loudly that we were becoming latent and antiquated in our processes. And, and they knew intuitively that we needed to fix this. The world was going digital personalization, customization, simplicity, all these buzzwords, you know, were top of mind for everyone and everything, you know, that they're doing. And so they created a charter statement. And the charter statement was to basically you 
we've assigned five individuals. I was the operator. There was a technology guy. There was a business development guy. And there was a, a couple uh, Imagineers, creative guys. Take the next eight weeks and go figure out how to eradicate all the lines, hassles, barriers, and friction points that exist in our Walt Disney World vacation experience and figure out how to eradicate them. And, you know, that's a big lofty task. Now, mind you, also, I also believe that we were suffering from the ivory tower syndrome. Very seldom did senior leadership actually go pay $20 to park, go park their car, get on the courtesy tram, which is nothing near courteous, and, you know, go in and pay for tickets, pay for, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we had to get some, we had to do some level setting and, and, and regrounding on it, but we had no idea how to get there. And, but we had a destination and the destination was fix it, make mm. it more simple, make it more guest friendly, make it nicer. And so we went out and we surgically experienced everything in the whole end to end experience ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we had ended up spending a billion dollars in 2010 to 2015 to simplify things. Now, I want to say this is all pre-COVID. Much has changed about you know the experience at Disney, and I'm not going to comment on any of that. But the reality is, we 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 nailed it. I mean, yep. but why why did we nail it? We did not have like-minded thinking. We had five individuals from different disciplines. We never none of us really knew each other. We had an end, end, we had a, a destination defined with the with the ability to be nimble and agile along the way. And when we brought it to the field a couple of years before launching, we did so with clarity, unity, and agility. Here's what's going to work. Here's what's not going to work. We're not going to we these five people aren't going to fix this. But if we get it to ninety percent reliability. We're going to ask you guys to help us figure it out from there. But anyway, high risk tolerance and you know and and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean that it's probably the best example I have. That makes sense. Fantastic, and and it does, and and hopefully we can talk off camera because when my family first started going to Disney World, it was right before the Next Generation Experience, and so we still have an old paper Fast Pass for Maelstrom as uh -huh. a souvenir. So that's yeah. Isn't All that, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Well, let me do this. We I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I think if the listeners and readers heard this, I think Jim almost agreed to come back on for yeah. a second try. <laughs> try yeah, to great. Um, and let me do this. I'm gonna put this in the show notes. Um, but and and I I'm telling you right now, um, I don't know if you can read the title, Lead, Inspire, Engage by Jim McPhee. I mean, fantastic. I've got, I got it on Sunday and I've been blowing through it. So I'm about two thirds done. Um, and what, what I said, and, and, and before we were on camera, before I recorded, I said to Jim that, and I wasn't trying to blow smoke up, up anywhere. It's, it's a book of goodness. So yeah, I mean, if you're a Disney fan, read it. That's level one. If you're a corporate leadership uh, fan and you want to pick up some skills, it's a fantastic. That's level two. But you're also going to see, there, and, and you talk about it in the book, just how to treat people and how to treat yourself. Um, some some serious goodness and a, a good, solid foundation. So I give it, if I could give it as many stars as I could, it's fantastic. Uh, I appreciate that, Joe. Thank you very much. And, you know, you said it also. It's I didn't retire thinking I was going to write a book. There was a series of comedic occurrences that forced me to be a little bit sedentary. And I said, oh, well, I think I'll write a book. 
a lot of people wanted me to do different titles. I said, no, this is about engaging, inspiring, and leading. It's what people did to me to make me interested in being a part of this culture and this organization, ultimately this world. And I hopefully paid it forward on, you know, on my, on my, I hopefully turned around and paid it backwards, I guess, on my, through my leadership. And so it's a life book for me. It talks, you know, I, I had a wonderful life. I had challenges, you know, still dealing with prostate cancer, lost my son, uh, son out of two daughters and a son born triplets, very prematurely, 26 weeks, lost my son, lost my father, lost my mother. Yet we all have these challenges. But I also would say to the say in closing, life is fleeting. And the idea of relationships being the epicenter is not an idea to me it is a, it's a mandatory prerequisite to living a good life. And that's to be able to invest in the relationships of those you love, those you play with, and those you work with, intermingled. And, you know, I, I could I write the corporate SOP on how to be a COO? Sure, I could. But I want to write, I want to, I want to pay forward what I was blessed with and what I hopefully gave back, which is this idea of making every relationship count. By the way, some are worth making count. So not everybody um, can be invested in if there's not a mutual exchange of interest. And, and you know, lead, leadership, leadership spends 80% of time on the bad people and 20% on the good. It should be the other way around. Yep. Anyway, Joe, you didn't know what you signed up for, but I can talk. Let's do it again. Let me uh, let me hit. Uh, I'm going to hit stop record, and hopefully, you and I can talk for a few more minutes. And <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this, uh, you'll know that in the show notes, there's going to be a link to the book, and I highly recommend you pick it up. All right, everyone, I'm going to hit stop record. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creativity Algorithm Podcast. To get in contact with Joe or to have him speak to your organization, please visit www.joeswalk.com. Hyphen public speaker dot com.